On today's show, Huawei hijinks, India intrigue, and Brad bullshit. All this and more on the telecoms.com podcast. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. I'm Scott Bacchino and with me today is Jamie Davis. Hi there, Scott. And that's it. That's it. No yeah, one else. Just the two. <laughs> uh, that'll do. Okay. So again, straight in. Um, the company that has probably dominated our headlines this week has been Huawei. Uh, I wrote a piece in the week about a patent ruling. Now, don't turn off straight away, <laughs> listeners. I know patent rulings isn't the most fascinating thing, but just hear me out. There's patent ruling where um, one company called Unwired Planet was saying Huawei owes, owes us a certain amount over patents, and Huawei went, no, we owe you less. And it went backwards and forwards. It's been going on for years and years and years. In the end, it get, ended up getting resolved, and both companies claimed a victory. Now, why? How can they both claim a victory? I hear you asking, Jamie, through your raised eyebrows. Uh, well, the answer is because the patent ruling was found in favour of the plaintiff, which was Unwired Planet. However, the amount they had to pay... Huawei was quite happy about. And the only reason anyone gives a shit is because this might have a sort of global implication as far as patents go. And the reason we care about patents is because this is a major sort of battleground between companies. They like to argue the toss over patents. It's an area in which they sort of beat their chests and wave their fallacies around in a very corporate way. And that's why both like to claim a result. And uh, anyway, so I wrote a story saying that um, the other lot won, and then Huawei got in touch and went, no, actually, we're quite happy with that. Um, now, Jamie, I know patent stuff is something that keeps you awake at night. <laughs> when you read my stories, what did you think of it all? I'm going to be honest, I didn't read that story. <laughs> you know. Well, that was, that, was, that was a long chat. Um, yeah, I mean... To be to be honest, it's just one of those things that just happens all the time, isn't it? I mean, who who isn't suing who for patent infringement? Well, um, I'm certainly seeing you. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty much every one of the major <laughs> manufacturers have got themselves into trouble at some point. And I'm, I mean, obviously, this is the consumer division. Apple are constantly getting sued. Huawei, uh, sorry, Samsung are constantly suing other people and getting yep. sued themselves. It's just, I mean, it just seems like a never-ending good time to be a patent lawyer, isn't it? Well, I mean, they just must never be out of work. Um, <laughs> you know, there's certain, there's certain, there's certain sort of like legal te- like team uh, companies whose legal team must be absolutely inundated yeah. with one type of work. You know, Apple and Huawei, the consumer division of Huawei, in any case, must be mm. just. Chock a block with patents. Google, for instance, must be you know find, uh, constantly dealing with antitrust. Yeah, court well, and there cases. are companies like this company on my planet. If I was going to be unkind, I could describe them as a patent troll, and I'm sure they would object if I did. So I won't. But uh, there are some companies whose whole business seems to be defending patents and extracting payments from other people. So that's a, definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a. I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, so many of these te- patents are so contestable as well, though, aren't they? I mean, what is the difference? But the the, the minor differences mm. between this component that Huawei came mm. up with or this component that Apple came up with must be so minuscule. It must be so debatable. Oh, all well, the Apple time. Used, Apple had a thing a little while back about design patents. So normally, patents are about a piece of technology, like. I've got a chip that makes two and two equal five, or I've got um, something that enables some very specific technological outcome to happen. But Apple was, a little while back, I think this was against 
whoever it was that was making a phone that looked a hell of a lot like an iPhone, arguing design patents, i.e. this looks too much like an iPhone. See, that I, it surprises me that doesn't happen more often because that is... You, know, you see it a lot with sort of trademarks on logos and on sort of um, sort of brand designs. You know, I think Pepsi and Coca Cola are constantly suing people because of <laughs> sort of like other. knockoffs. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just even just like the you know the design of a Pepsi can, it's mm-hmm. quite it's a quite, can, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but it's quite obvious, like what the the brand. Your is can on the was outside. too cylindrical. <laughs> but I think I think it surprises me it doesn't happen more often these sort of like design disputes. Well, do you know what I think? So, like, if we take Coke and Pepsi, it's obviously a bit of a tangent from our little telecomsy taxi techie thing. But presumably they got the litigation out of their system decades ago, didn't they? I mean, they basically produce the same stuff. I think Pepsi's got a bit more sugar in it or something like that. It's basically the same. Well, who knows? No one knows uh, what the secret what the secret recipe. formula is. So, but if we were to do a little taste test here and now. I think we conclude they were very similar products, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, that just goes down to the branding side of things, which is why you've got this sort of like defence from Apple more than anything else. You know, you going back to like the taste test, it just shows how, how important sort of branding is. Yeah. When you there's always that some fizzy black water at the end of the well, day. Well, I was going to use baked beans as an example. You okay. see it on you see it on the BBC all the time, where people are they're trying to get people to save money in the supermarkets, and you've got an own brand baked beans in front of you and Heinz baked beans in front of you. and when there's no label most people say the own brand is better yeah. and when there is label they say exactly. the Heinz is better so it just shows how you know design branding no, that totally. sort of thing no, most of the money we pay I mean back to the supermarket example to follow on on this massive tangent <laughs> um, yeah most supermarkets have got their own brand like, uh, like Tesco's even got this value on with these incredibly sort of utilitarian red and white stripes yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or maybe that has to, I don't know and then you think, well, I'm not going to get that because it's only two peer can. I'm going to buy this one that's 30 peer can because it must be better. And then you've got this weird intrinsic thing, which is the more you charge for something, the more people want it, which in some ways is counterintuitive in terms of value. But that's the whole Apple model, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. You know, we, we, own the, we own the premium brand of the market, or we own the premium section of the market. No one yeah. else can get everything. Well, that, that happens upon a story I wrote today, which I haven't put on the running order. I say I haven't put on the running. I'm putting the running order that Jamie wrote in the last five minutes in handwriting <laughs> I can barely read, um, which was Samsung's numbers. Samsung's come out with its numbers saying uh, we're, we're going to make loads of profit, in fact, more profit than ever. And it's quite counterintuitive because you're like, hold on a sec, is this the same Samsung that made up with a phone that no one buy because the thing blew up? Is this sequential or year on year? Year on year. Okay, so, interesting. So their Q1 2017, um, which I guess is January to March, I'm honestly not sure, but let's say it is, um, it's going to be better than the same quarter a year ago. And that's in spite of the fact that we've had the Note 7 thing that we've covered exhaustively on this very podcast. Anyway, long and short of it is, it's been forced to sort of put a bit more effort on, into things like DRAM and components and displays and that sort of thing, which turn out they're much higher margin than phones anyway. Yeah. So there's, there's this weird serendipity going with Samsung whereby it completely screwed up, completely dropped the ball, and it's ended up being more profitable than ever. It's quite weird. But wasn't it the chip division that's been doing quite a lot as well? Yeah, yeah, but that includes DRAM and all oh, that Oh, right. Sort of oh, sorry, sorry. DRAM being memory chips. Okay, okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, go figure I think everyone has known you know in my previous life I used to track things like profitability and even then it was clear that something in excess of 90% of all the profit in the smartphone sector was being taken up by Apple but I think that I mean does that not demonstrate more than anything else how unprofitable the 
the smartphone sector is except really. yeah. for iPhones except for iPhones except which, the margin the markup yeah. that they're putting on which goes back to your point about brand brand is incredibly powerful and Apple I think you could probably argue I mean I know there are people who track these things Apple's arguably got the most valuable brand in the world because of the amount of markup it enables to put on an iPhone which is functionally not that dissimilar well, to a Galaxy or whatever the thing is I mean I don't I, I'll question whether they've got an attractive brand because they don't own the majority of the market. They own the majority of the profits. 15 to 20% they've in terms got, of market share. Yeah, they've got an incredibly loyal customer base. Certainly. iLifers. Like yeah, iLifers. And I don't know whether that is incredibly strong brands mass market, but it's incredibly um, attractive and intelligent marketing yeah, to develop this loyalty. Totally, and 100%. I think I think there may be there may be something slightly t- uh, sli- uh, slightly different between the two. Um, what's that? Hashtag cult. <laughs> yeah, you know the yeah. <laughs> that was that was Brad putting up a bit of paper in the window. <laughs> by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, you know I don't like eyelifers. You know, fine, <laughs> whatever. Uh, now that Tim's not here anymore, we can't even take the piss directly. Yeah, barely like Tim though, didn't I? So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I got. If you're listening, Tim, he didn't mean that. Tim has always got a special place in my heart. I just didn't yeah. like his ga- his gadgets. Just stay in Dubai, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um. No, it's a tricky one. It's but it's an immensely profitable business for them. It is getting smaller, but yeah. you know you can see why they so so aggressively defend it when you've got this markup and this no, totally. profitability. And, and to go sort of full circle back to Huawei, and in a minute I'm gonna I'm gonna put the ball back to you on on a completely different Huawei matter. But I know Huawei's been trying to develop its consumer brand for ages. And, you know, Huawei is is a Chinese-sounding word, so there's a certain challenge it faces in Western markets. It's not as easy to sort of get your head around as Apple. Well, saying it more than then. Well, for, exactly. So many people mispronounce uh, it. it. I mean, character. I mean, like ZTE's brand's got a Chinese character. And, and again, that's fine, but you can see why that will have challenges in Western markets. However, Huawei seems to be doing a very good job of translating its Chinese brand to international markets. Yeah. It's doing very well in handsets and all that sort of thing. To be honest, I think that part of that is this perception that Asian goods aren't as good as Western goods. And I think that that was that's the a in- sort of historical, that's historical like the eighties or whatever. But I think that I mean Huawei. Obviously, everyone looked at Huawei like that at the beginning. But I think they've just completely rewritten the rule book. No, we've certainly written plenty of stories yeah. about how they're kicking ass on various I, levels. I just think they've you know through hard work they've just disproved mm. that 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 sort of stigma that Asian goods are uh, are cheaper and therefore no, not totally as good. Yeah. We discussed that at length in the previous podcast, and, and the long and short of it does seem to be that they're yeah, just delivering. they're just good. So, um, moving on, um, I've just got a little note in your handwriting here, Jamie, that says, public clouds, is that what it says? Yeah, yeah. And My it's, in, it's is... in the little Huawei box, so I'm going to just hand the ball to you. Here. What, what's that all about? So this is actually a couple of weeks old, but I thought I'd um, sort of tie it in because it's quite an interesting little talking point. Um, and it's when I managed to build an infographic out of it. Okay. I, I do have fun with my you infographics. You do like your infographics. Yeah, they're brilliant, though. Here you go, Brad. Looks like that. Yeah. Very, yeah, they are, they very are snazzy. They're um, the highlight of my week. Yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, Huawei has extended its reach into uh, New Zealand. Um, so they've signed a, very, a couple of partnership agreements and they've decided they're going to plough a load more money into, uh, into New Zealand in developing their market there. Now, what caught my attention 
And do you know what? If someone wants to correct me, feel free. This yeah, is you're just, wrong. Yeah, maybe maybe wrong. Yeah, feel free. Tweet me. Tell me I'm wrong. Um, they don't have a massive business in New Zealand at the moment. Not to the best of my knowledge. And New Zealand isn't a massive country. No. They're so good at rugby, though. They're very good at rugby. And as part of this announcement, Huawei also slipped in that they're building a data center in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think, or my hunch is, that their business isn't big enough or isn't going to be big enough to fully justify the cost and logistical nightmare of building a data center there. Right. Now, so why are they doing it? Well, I think this comes back to a little bit of a hunch. When I was out in China at one of Huawei's events last year, it was obviously their their enterprise clouds uh, business group that I went to go see, and they provide a lot of the hardware components and uh, a lot of the a lot of the sort of the software for yep. cloud computing companies. Cloudness. Cloudness. Cloudy. Cloudy components. Let's yeah. say. Um, and what they were being peppered with questions about was are they going to launch their own IaaS proposition, which IaaS. can actually uh, infrastructure as a service. I thought you were propositioning <laughs> to, um, to compete with the likes of AWS or Azure or Google Cloud. Now this is down to two things. Number one, they are they have their own public cloud business in China, but it's only for Chinese domestic companies. And secondly, they launched this thing called Industrial Cloud, where they essentially white label a cloud solution and have an industry-specific technology company market to, the, to those verticals. Okay. Now, the, the, these two things just fueled rumors that they were going to uh, enter into the public cloud space. Okay. And this sort of like opening their own data center in a, in yeah. a country that they may not require it it kind of just adds to that momentum. So is the significance them sort of significantly branching out from their sort of core area? I mean, this is that's a massive move. Yeah. I mean, it's something that they have aggressively denied they're going to do it because... So when you say aggressively denied, they went, we deny it! Yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, it was, it was honestly, the execs were getting peppered with this question all the time. And it was like, no, 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 no. We're not doing it. We're not doing not it. We're not it. doing it. Yeah. Just not having any of it. Just move on. Nothing to see here. But they would absolutely kill relationships with some of the big cloud. Right. If so they that's go always in, the problem, isn't it? When you start to diversify, you start to compete with your own customers, and that's yeah. a bit of an issue. Um, but so we ran a poll after all of this, and we asked telecoms.com readers, would they be surprised if Huawei entered the public cloud right. space? And? 83% of people said no, they wouldn't be surprised. Ah. So, whether... telecoms.com readers. And we had, sorry to butt in, we had one guy query one of you in infographics recently, asked, sort of arguing that it's not a sort of statistically relevant number. I will say, for the sake of argument, anyone who's listening, this is only people who've answered questions on telecoms.com in that week. We're not claiming it's statistically exhaustive. It's a spot poll, so everyone just calm down. Yeah, so we just, it's, this is just the views of telecoms.com yeah. readers. Um, but I think, you know, you can't argue with 83%. That's, that's a pretty it's a, overwhelming <laughs> majority. So, so I think the Even next, if that's only a product of two people. Yeah. Which would be a weird Well, it, it certainly wasn't. It was, a, it was substantially more. Um, <laughs> but I just think it's, it's a market that they could very much go into and they got the brand credibility the 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 sort of the supply chain to actually do it yeah well they could do quite a lot right now you know we've talked about it and i i say i'm completely 
neutral party on this. Uh, fair play to them. I have no doubt they've got to where they are through merit, but I want to see things nice and competitive, and I want to see uh, Ericsson and Nokia and ZT all compete nice and heavily. I'm sure they will. But market tends to not tolerate a monopolist, and I hasten to add that Huawei's far from being monopolist yet. But um, yeah, we're at a little phase right now where they're at the top of the pile. So we can see how it plays out. Well, I think we've probably done the Huawei thing a fair bit. We've probably been going for about half an hour on that one. I'm going to move on to India. Okay, um, excellent. As you do. So, yeah, there's been a couple of things there. The first one I'm going to start with, this is me talking, is, is one I wrote up recently. So we've spoken, I think, one or two times on this podcast about Geo, Reliance Geo is its full name, where, to recap, the richest guy in India just said, right, I'm going to, I'm going to get into mobile. Uh, and not only am I going to get into mobile, but I'm going to give the best mobile service anyone's ever had away for free for ages. And understandably, everyone went, yeah, okay, we'll have some of that action. And they suddenly went from having nothing to tens of millions of subscribers in less than a year. Now, you sort of think, fair play to him. If this rich guy wants to give away all this expense, all this money that's associated with having a, a good 4G network, then then that's fair enough. But there does come a point where he's going to drive everyone out of business. Yeah, well, I think legally he's getting to the point. Yeah. Because I think a pro- for a promotion to be a promotion in India, it can only run in that... Uh, with those specific um, offers right. for a three-month period. But he keeps extending it, doesn't he? Well, I think that's, that's the big complaint, isn't it? Um, that it's no longer a promotion because... Mm. You know, eventually, for it to be a promotion, they have to pay for something. Exactly. Um, and we were talking about that, like with price promotions in the supermarket. At some stage, it's got to be at full price, isn't it? It can't all be at ninety nine p the whole time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we were talking about it earlier today as well, wasn't it? About um, the fifty percent off on sofas and all mm. that sort of thing. I think it, it, it's pretty full much off. exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's got to be full price at some points. So, um, so the story I wrote, uh, you'd written a story actually earlier on in the week about how they're extending this thing yet again. Yeah. Uh, and we were like, when is the regulator going to step in? Lo and behold, by the end of the week, the regulator going, all right, hold on. There's got to be there's got to be some sort of pressure there, uh, because I mean, it just looks like Geo was the golden boy of mm. the, the Indian regulators, and we're not we're not saying anything untowards. We're not accusing them we're or anything. Certainly not. We'd never dream of no, it. No, no, wouldn't accuse. Wouldn't. wouldn't do anything like that exactly um but you know it was a very you're like they're getting a f- easy ride they're getting here. an easy ride here they're getting a bit of favorable treatment so anyway so in the end they didn't get such an easy ride and try which is the abbreviation for the regulator i can't remember what it stands for um but telecom we, regulatory authority of india there we go that's the baby um and uh they went i went hold on a minute uh and went no you can't do that but you can still keep all of the people you got in the few days since you've done it it just struck me as the minimal level of intervention that Tri could have done it is some intervention so fair enough but they weren't exactly spanking them yeah I mean to a certain degree I can see why they backed off to a little bit um, well you need something like the, this disruption to yeah. I mean let's be completely honest prior to Geo, the Indian network was in a pretty bad shape 
it wasn't ideal. It was getting it wasn't investment. Wasn't as competitive as you'd like. No, certainly. but but it's but, very fragmented. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, sort of rural areas just weren't getting the attention yeah. that they needed. Um, and then Geo comes along and says, "We're going to make everything." pristine and amazing and nationwide and, and nationwide we're not going to forget about the little villages we're not yeah. going to forget about anything outside like the say, major cities I mean, we'd actually have to go to those little villages and ask them how it's going yeah yeah to know for sure but it has spurred everything yeah it has spurred every all the competitors into action lit a, lit a match under it all yeah you know you've got sure. vodafone and idea coming together going right we yeah. need we need some more cash to make sure this yeah, works barty, barty are doing away. stuff yeah there, it's really forced innovation. No, I completely agree with you, but there comes a point where you're like, oh, all yeah. right, all right, Jay. you got to go, yeah, chill, you yeah. know, you're going you're gonna to ruin us here. So uh, so anyway, so they put their foot down, and to put a sort of draw a line under that, it remains to be seen. I've got, I've got half an idea that Gia's going to go, all right, and you ban that one, we come up with another one, and they're going to keep pushing their luck until this regulator authority gets a bit more... I can imagine tasty. they do something like, okay, new offer two pounds a month for yeah. unlimited data or exactly. something like that like one rupee yeah for, for the whole world and and that'll be like we're not giving it away we're charging a rupee anyway it remains to be seen um moving on from that you wrote a little thing sticking with india about um mobile money and whatsapp it was you that wrote wasn't it no it was you that wrote was it, it me yeah it was definitely <laughs> you that wrote it i was in the middle of saying you wrote it and i thought hold on a second this is ringing a bell here. um maybe i just thought it was your turn um okay <laughs> back to me then um the interesting thing about whatsapp getting involved in mobile money and the reason there's an indian angle is firstly you know, mobile money. Barty, we were alluding to this earlier, was getting involved with mobile money in India, and there's a whole thing going on in India to do with mobile money, where the government they basically took a bunch of cash out of circulation. They're trying to get Indians, the billion plus Indians who exist almost entirely on cash, they're just trying in one fell swoop to go, nah, no more cash. It's all going to be digital now, and they took a bunch of currency, a bunch of notes out of circulation. It led to all kinds of chaos. That's right. They took like the four smallest notes out of circulation. Yeah, yeah but all kinds of stuff. So suddenly there were loads of like millions, billions of Indians with no cash. Anyway, but they seem to have coped. I think the Indians have a remarkable capacity to adapt. Um and and what they're trying to do is get everyone digital. I suspect the government wants to do it because if everyone's digital it's a lot easier to tax them. If it's a cash economy then it's a black market economy in effect. Yeah. Why would you bother declaring some, a cash interaction for tax purposes? You just wouldn't, would you? Um, so that's probably the government's interest. But however, if we're going to not be wholly cynical in terms of bringing banking to the sort of rural impoverished classes who don't have access to conventional banking for whatever reason, this happens a lot in Africa. We've got things like M-Pesa, yeah. that sort of thing. There are some sort of proper reasons for doing all this stuff how cynical you want to be is your choice as to what the government's incentive for doing so is so this and anyway it turns out whatsapp's going okay we're going to get into enabling money transfers and mobile payments and the first place we're going to do it is india for all the reasons we've just described the reason beyond india by itself it's interesting is for a in this context we call them an ott player over the top player like whatsapp to get involved in mobile money it's quite a competitive threat to operators who also want to get involved in that. Yeah, um, it's an interesting one. I mean, I mean, from my perspective, for uh, the WhatsApp thing, it's got to be. 
I mean, they had to do something with it. They tried advertising and they got shot down. They tried changing their terms and conditions and they got shot down. They tried, you know, I mean, before they, uh, before Facebook bought them, they tried the idea of paying for WhatsApp and that got shot down. I mean, Zuckerberg must be looking at it and going, Christ, I've spent 19 billion What's on this. Do, got I've got to actually start making some cash back. So, right. I mean, is this going to roll out to the rest of the world? Who well, knows? It, it does seem like a proving ground, and what a proving ground with oh, a billion yeah. plus potential punters. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if it works, you know, WeChat in China is already doing this a fair bit. When I was in China, people were paying stuff for stuff with WeChat the whole time. So it's not like these are the first guys to do it, but. You know, this is an example of where the Chinese are actually ahead of the game on that one. Um, okay, Jamie, I tried to put that one in your court and I failed. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit more confident because I know one of your pet subjects is AI. One of the things we've got on the list here, again, I'm struggling to read your writing, if I'm honest. Um, but we've got AI and we've got what I think says lawyer report and what I think says Google chips. Did you write both of those? I did. Go I on, did. son. So I'm gonna Over fo- to you. <laughs> so on the so on the lawyer report so basically there was a report that came out from the international bar association this week and it was it was a little bit scaremongering um but uh it was basically the whole thing was guys you don't realize how much the world is going to have to change to allow for ai um laws have to change insurance policies have to change education has to change the way we you know basically function as society has to change and you know obviously it's very self-serving um i look at lawyers in the same bracket consultants you know you you don't know when that you have a problem until you hire a lawyer they find a problem and you pay them to fix it Uh um unless you're getting sued by someone then it's dentist it's pretty obvious yeah (laughs) um that's why i never go to dentist but the one, <laughs> the 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 one interesting um, point which I thought was, um, but that which I focused on coming out of the reports, was the idea of how AI could potentially cripple, and I and when I say cripple, and I mean absolutely destroy um, employment in third world countries or developing nations. Sorry, like more than England, for example. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. So I haven't got England or the UK. Come on. Sorry. The UK. Um, <laughs> Bad Scots. Stat- England slash Wales slash Scotland slash Northern Ireland. So I haven't got, I haven't got stats for, for the UK, but someone like Scandinavia, which has invested a lot in digital services, in digital education, um, the, they've got it's something like 6% of the jobs are under threat from AI. Right. Um, you know, this is that's a country where AI is going to supplement decision-making right. and supplement your job and not replace it. But... But when you look at countries like Thailand, for instance, the the primary and secondary industries have moved out of places like the UK and into the third world nations or developing nations where a cheap labour force is the primary attraction. Certainly is. Um, so this, but in fact, like Thailand, Vietnam, Southeast Asia is even trumping China yeah, when it comes yeah. to cost of labour. So this report thinks that seventy percent of jobs. Um, in Thailand or India is going to be under threat um, because of automation because of, au- because of smart factories because of automation because of automated call centres those sorts of things yeah. um, now this is obviously that will devastate developing nations um, it won't be that bad for someone like the UK 
you'll see manufacturing jobs come back to the UK or manufacturing plants come back to the UK right. because AI is going to be cheaper than they'll employing be, be someone. by about two people. Yeah, but that's two extra jobs in the UK. <laughs> you know, you've got... That's you and me, isn't it? Yeah, you've got two extra jobs in the UK. <laughs> you've, got, you've got the cost of putting, putting up the, the factory, which yeah. plows a load of money into it, um, and then you've got the, the actual... Yeah, and of course, running you know, the behind the scenes is all the maintenance and the software development, oh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So okay. there'll be so it'll it'll it, it depends where you are. So in certain places it's a net positive and it's in looking some places, dodgy for these places that basically said we've got cheap labour, here you go. Because the more they automate it, the more we don't care about that cheap labour. Some places and even in some Western countries, Australia for instance, and you know, um Brad, I don't know I don't know what the mining industry in South Africa is like. Um but he did a little wavy hand to yeah. say com C com so but or think about Afrikaans for that is. <laughs> but think about say say last like the Northern Territories in Australia. You know, there is a, a huge mining community there and a huge industry. Yeah. There's going to be so many jobs lost to automated mining. Um, you know, automated mining. Well, really? Why do you? That's why? Yeah, I mean, they're they're already in some mines. They're already using autonomous vehicles. Wow. Um, and you know, and that so that's the driver's gone out of the way then you then for safety reasons you've got you take people out of the mines and that's the mining jobs out of the way yeah, yeah. logistics can be manned by robots that's the logistic jobs out of the way no, you don't need anyone on sites so actually you know we've had lots of chats about ai over the over the months on this podcast and i always come back to this sort of terminatory um they're going to become sort of self-aware and start trying to hunt us down but actually the less dramatic thing is just human beings rendered obsolete it's going to be i mean the this is something i've spoken about quite a lot and it's going to be a generation of absolute hideous pain um it's going to be excellent because you look at every (laughs) in every industrial revolution there is a substantial proportion of individuals who get screwed by automation so i just tell my kids not to bother then no 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 i mean our People going through school now might be okay. Okay. That's but really think about in 30 years time, right? Mm. So, um let's Don't say we're having kids, I'll say to them. Well, say let's say in 30 years time, um self-driving cars are mainstream. Yeah. Um you've got no cab jobs, no logistics. No job. cab jobs, yeah. yeah. So you've got taxi drivers now which are aged what? 29 30 in 30 years time, they'll be completely redundant. Uh-huh. And the way the pensions are going, you're never gonna, you know, they're gonna, they should be working until what the age of seventy, which is my generation. Be working for so bloody long, so that's ten years. You've got to find some right. income for these people who are so, completely unqualified. So in summary, we're all, yeah, basically. Cool. Well, I mean, certain jobs, certain jobs, obviously. Right. Well, on that note, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on. I'm not gonna do your Google chips because that's just too technical for this time <laughs> of the afternoon. Uh, a couple of little ones to sign off on. Um, Aussies irate with Apple you wrote I thought that was quite funny so uh, to quickly paraphrase before I hand the ball back to you um, Apple's got this thing where if third parties try and repair in Australia try and repair an iPhone they get this error 53 or something like that I think it was message. a bit more global wasn't it but the the litigation was in Australia wasn't it yeah yeah so tell us about that you wrote that well the Aussie it said was you, it? yeah it was me <laughs> so the Aussie said no you can't do that basically right. um, great story thanks man. yeah yeah they said consumer law protects uh consumers beyond your warranty 
Yeah. Um, so they said you you can't turn people away because they've been repaired by third parties. You're still you're still held accountable yeah. when your goods me, are not bit, good enough. It's a little bit cheeky because what was happening is they were getting these little error messages when someone had tried to repair an iPhone. The iPhone had some way of knowing that a non-Apple dude yeah. got involved and was going, "Well, that's it then. It's bricked. Sorry." It's really it's really weird though because like I don't know how true this is, but the ACCC claim that the Australian lots of seas consumer, consumer and competition uh, competition commission or something like do. that um, they claim that the majority of the the repairs were actually replacing the screen right so they weren't going in yeah, doing which anything which it would be wouldn't it yeah yeah but people it would drop it yeah but it wasn't replacing components inside exactly. so that's how, enough that's how, enough to wind the phone up how did the phone know Ah, well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, how did the phone know that the, the... I mean, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that question. So, uh, another one. It's powering through. There's another little Apple story that I wrote this week about um, Apple has makes its own chip called the A-Series. I think we're on the A9 or the A10 right now. And the graphics processing part of it uses uh, some intellectual property that they licensed from a, company, a UK company called Imagination Technology. And one story this week is that they were ditching Imagination Technology and going their own way. This is relevant on at least a couple of levels. Firstly, it's pretty bad news for imagination, for whom Apple constitutes at least half their revenues. Yeah, a bit shagged. <laughs> Just a bit. Not a great day <laughs> at Imagination Towers down at King's Langley. Um, but imagination came back and went, all right, Apple, you want to play it that way. Let's see how much GPU stuff you can do without us. And there better not be a shred, an iota of imagination IP in your stuff or you're dead. So it's all going to get a little bit tasty. This doesn't look great for imagination because obviously Apple's about 10 million times bigger. But they have got a good point. And you'd like, imagination's got a similar business model to ARM, but for graphics specifically. And you imagine imagination's going to be like saying that they've got all sorts of protections. When they, when they license something, they've probably got all kinds of protections from that company going, nah, we're all right, we'll, we'll take it from here. We'll reverse engineer it and do our own thing. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's going to be interesting, and then the final thing, as I think we're running short of time. Um, Is that the final thing? Right, <laughs> <laughs> right. Brad's just come into the room. I don't know if you're going to edit out that pause or not. No, I'll keep it in. Um, <laughs> Well, do you know what? The final thing I'm not going to do, because far more important than the final thing, is having Brad in the room. Now, Brad has been our tireless, flawless producer. All the I wouldn't time. say flawless. <laughs> <laughs> You've heard us refer to Brad countless times on the other side of the glass screen. This is the first time he's ventured onto the other side of it. So I'm going to, in in this final little spate, because, um, Brad, you're moving on, aren't you? You're going back to your native South Africa. I'm going right? back to the native South Africa, yes. It's my last week here in the cool. UK. What could South Africa possibly offer that central London couldn't? Um, right now, protests, uh, corrupt government, and <laughs> <laughs> potentially some really good food, but um, yeah. well, it remains to be seen. Uh, a lifestyle change, I think. Yeah. You know, I, um, I've lost too much color. I've become anemic, and <laughs> that needs to change now. I think I'm brown anemic. Yeah, exactly. So, um, no, going back to South Africa to get some color back on my skin, get my life back, and yeah. maybe catch some waves and worry less about the hustle and bustle oh, of like fast London. You like a bit of surfing? I love a bit of surfing. I've never, I've never dabbled. Okay. I think I can confidently say I'd be very bad at it <laughs> <laughs> my, my central gravity is all wrong <laughs> um, so 
Brad, in this time that you've been uh, doing this podcast with us, uh, how's it been? Going? Have you enjoyed it? Well, you know, like uh, I've done many podcasts in the past, and I used to be on this side of the mic all the time. Doing oh right, breakfast what, back show, in back in South Africa, yeah. Um, and so it's been really refreshing to get to the other side of the mic, and then just start shouting comments at like my producer shout at me when I was right. live on there. It's a much better position to be in, and you make less mistakes. But <laughs> um, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, to be honest. It's probably one of the most entertaining <laughs> podcast series I've ever been a part oh. of. Consider the Christmas party. Consider <laughs> the Brilliant. New Year's party. Did you have a few drinks then? Uh, I had a few drinks then okay. as well. Just sneaky on the slide. I had a hip flask in the back <laughs> of the studio over there. And then the amount of times Tim required us to do an on-site coverage of a podcast, which is the hardest oh, yeah. thing to pull yeah. off. Like at the awards. At uh, well, AfriCom. It was the most uh, horrible thing with so much noise in the background. Yeah. It's like, oh, we'll just do it in the corner. Okay, mate. We'll just do it in the corner and see how it comes up <laughs> so very entertaining it is people possibly don't appreciate you know we're, we're in this room that's got this sort of weird wallpaper with little blobbly bits of it's eggshell of, cartons actually yeah, what they used to make eggshells with they used, exactly and i suppose people don't appreciate that the sound quality however you might perceive the sound quality here uh, is a product of that and if we were in any kind of public environment the sound quality would be completely different oh yeah it's completely horrible you you hate it You as a producer it's a nightmare to try and record on site mm. even with just interviews for video I mean you have to have a little lapel and then Tim says to me oh no we're doing five people on this podcast at the yeah. Banking Tech Awards five people and I had you guys all holding condenser mics because I <laughs> was so scared that you were going to pick up so much background noise no it's, it's a very difficult task and often some of the times I'm sitting editing and I'm going do you know what I can't actually remove any more noise without having no. the voices disappear and you just end up with what no, you got and I think some of it so I, I wasn't involved for example in either the awards one because I was in China then or the AfricaCon one because I wasn't in Africa uh, I had to shout pretty loud <laughs> wasn't I, to get involved in that. Um, and I listened to them and yeah obviously there was a lot of background noise but if you explain it at the time and go this is live this is not Optimal. This isn't the BBC. Well, oh, Tim always did, you know. Three yeah, or four yeah, exactly. drinks down. Listen, it's going to be a bit of a fun ride here. Exactly. Hold on to your pants. It's always a bit more fun, though, isn't it? I mean, the, the I, I mean, I wasn't on the South Africa one, but I did the the awards one as well. It was just, you know, it was great. Well, it's a bit better. loose. It's the same as when it was in here when we we're doing. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the studio is about a four by three meter square, yeah. and we had about eight people in here all <laughs> drinking with champagne drinking. and the atmosphere food. was pretty right. humid. It was it was pretty good. It was pretty good, yeah. and to pull off that was also quite insane considering to how much uh, factors there are like shaking glasses and banging the desk and people tapping their feet you know and all that stuff and all that jazz well hopefully people appreciate that what really counts and this I think this counts for all media whether it's audio or visual or written is that you just get some sort of sense of the moment rather than perfection oh yeah, very God much knows so. we're pretty damn far from perfect of course of course <laughs> no. um, and we're not uh, perfect at all are we <laughs> <laughs> in fact we even miss some bleeps at times oh, that's my that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think we're probably running out of time there. So, Brad, it was great to get you on the other side of the screen. And thanks a lot for all your help. And thanks, everyone, for listening. See you at the next one. Thank you for listening to A Week in Wireless. Join us next week at the same time, same place, possibly the same people, but even better. <laughs>